Kids Podcast. This is episode number 78. I'm your host, Al Qatar, and I'm excited to talk to you guys today about the exciting soccer news going on in the world right now. I apologize. I'm only going to be talking about two games because that's all I had time for over this past weekend. I was in Columbus, and I took the SAT, and I know those things might seem like weird because I don't actually live in Columbus, but and I took the SAT in Columbus, but... Uh, I signed up late and really late for the SAT and all the spots had been taken in my city, uh, Toledo. So I had to go all the way down to Columbus and it was kind of depressing, but anyway, uh, everything's fine with that. I should be able to, uh, should be less busy over the next few weeks, be able to cover a bit more games, get to a little bit more content. And, um, but that is why I won't be talking about as many games, but I have other news that I'm going to be talking about. So just bear with me throughout this episode. I'm excited to get going. So why don't we start right away with some huge news for FC Barcelona as Osman Dembele has chose to transfer there from Borussia Dortmund for 145 million euros. Now the initial fee is 105, but, um, reports say that it's going to rise to around 145 million euros. So my initial impression for this is I think for Borussia Dortmund, that's a really good amount of money to gain. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know Dembele is a high quality player with a very high ceiling, but I don't know if they could have gotten much more than that. And we've already seen them uh, reinvest today. They announced the signing of Yarmolenko from Dynamo Kiev. So that's, that's a good signing. I mean, I think he hasn't performed as well as he has in previous seasons, and I think his value was a little higher um, a couple years ago, but I, I think he can regain his form in Dortmund. Um, and part of me wants them to buy even more star power, because I think that'll be good for them, but the American in me really wants to see Christian Pulisic be the first or second most important winger on the team. I think that Pulisic can really develop much quicker if he's starting in those most important games, those you know, uh, those Bayern Munich clashes, those Champions League clashes. Um, if he's starting in uh, like most of those games and a lot of those games, I think that his development will, you know, shoot up even more. And I want to see Pulisic get to that point that we know he can as quickly as possible because, um, He's such an important piece of the national team. But I'll have time to talk about Pulisic later because uh, I will be talking about the USMNT roster that's just been announced, but that's besides the point. From Barcelona perspective of this Dembele transfer, I think it's a good purchase. I do think they could have found a deal for less. I mean, we're talking about a 10 times increase on what his value was from last year. He transferred from Stadrone to Borussia Dortmund for 15 million euros, and now we're looking at a fee that's around 150 million euros. So... I do understand Barcelona trying to hurry up with the steal. I think this happened Saturday or Friday where they officially announced that. Um, so I, I understand trying to get Dembele in as quickly as possible, uh, get in the squad. But I, I don't know. That, that fee does seem a little high to me. And honestly, in some ways, I think it's a little bit more surprising than the Neymar transfer because Neymar is already... You know, he's done it for many seasons, and he's like a top five player in the world. Now, Dembele had a great season last year. He had 13 assists, or 13 assists, six goals just in the Bundesliga, and he, he showed well in the Champions League, too. And I, I think that, you know, for what Barcelona want, he can definitely achieve it. It's only 20 years old, so it's hard to say that any 20 year old, you know, can get close to Neymar level, but I think out of any player, any winger that, that you look at in the world, he and Mbappe are players that you really can see getting to that level. So uh, I think that he can fit really w- well in there. He's got 
you know, it's not just his pace and dribbling. His passing has also been, you know, pristine. And his positioning, he's very smart for his age. Um, I think that, you know, it, it wouldn't be that hard for me to see a successful Messi, Suarez, Dembele trio up top. And Barcelona's still looking for Coutinho, who isn't worth the amount of money they're offering, in my opinion, but he's definitely proven both effective as that number 10 position, or in that number 10 position, and as a winger. And I think he could provide some much-needed energy in the midfield as we see Iniesta and Busquets get a little bit older. So I think for Barcelona, those targets that they're looking at, definitely good targets and ones that could uh, shape this team well for, for the next few years and you know, perhaps get them back to the point they want uh, in terms of, you know, competing for Champions League. I, I know they were in the Champions League final two years ago, but uh, it seems like me and a lot of other people agree that, you know, this is just isn't the same Barcelona that we've seen. I know they won this past weekend and Real Madrid actually drew, drew but just that one week isn't going to convince me entirely. We saw Real Madrid and Barcelona playing that Super Cup and it wasn't really funny or close. And um, I think that, you know, that just serves as proof that Barcelona just isn't at the same point they were when they beat Juventus in that Champions League final. And, I mean, just as importantly, uh, Real Madrid is stronger than ever, pretty much. So I think that, you know, you're, you're looking at... And also, by the way, Ronaldo uh, wasn't uh, didn't appear in that 2-2 two two draw of the, of the weekend, so that's an important note to make. So um, you're looking at a Barcelona side that needs to strengthen in order to compete with Real Madrid. And I think that maybe it won't be this year, but they're getting the pieces there. And I, I think that Real Madrid will win the title, but I, I, I'd i be excited if I was a Barcelona fan for, for the coming years, even though it's hard to be excited when you're already such a storied club and it's kind of an expectation, but like what they're doing. But anyways, um, <laughs> one of the games that I did watch this weekend was Liverpool versus Arsenal. And wow. I mean, I predicted Liverpool to win but not like this. So I'm going to go through the goals. Uh, well, I'm going to go through the goals first. So the first goal came in the 17th minute as Chan put in a cross for Firmino, who headed it on goal. Czech did get a hand to it, but it wasn't enough, and Liverpool was up 1-0. The second goal came on a counterattack from Liverpool. Uh, uh, Roberto Firmino played a really nice ball, through ball to Sadio Mane. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't really nice, but it was, you know, it was... It was uh, placed well, and you know there wasn't too much pace on it, so Mane could do what he wanted wanted with it. And what he wanted to do was cut onto that right foot, and you know he just beats Rob Holding on the dribble and strikes it at the bottom corner of the net. Great, great finish. Just it was just beautiful, like so powerful, so much pace on the shot. It was just a joy to see. And I don't like Liverpool that much since I'm kind of an Everton fan. Um, if you don't know, my brother's an Everton fan, and um, we kind of support, and I'm a Roma fan, so we kind of support each other's teams. But anyway, in the 54th minute, Mohamed Salah, former Roma player, takes advantage of a defensive mistake by Nacho and Monreal and runs half the distance to the field and curves it to the far left corner. Really clean, composed finish, and that's not something that you always see from Mohamed Salah. Definitely. Um, probably his weakest point of his game, his finishing, his end product. There were a couple moments in this game where he definitely could have had goals. And even though he's statistically gotten off to a really good start for Liverpool and he's looked really good, he could have be having like historically great numbers. I mean, maybe not historically, but great, fantastic numbers. Um, and, you know, it's 
it's a pretty frustrating sometimes, even in, when I saw him in a Roma kit to to mess up. But I think for the amount he creates, it's fine for him to you know not finish every once in a while. It's still better than a lot of wingers on this planet. So. In the 77th minute, Emre Chan did really well to advance the ball, and he laid it off to Salah, and Salah played a beautiful ball to an unmarked Sturridge who headed it home to get Sturridge's first goal of the campaign. So, uh, exciting stuff for Sturridge. We hope that, you know, obviously he's not the same player that he was 13-14 uh, when he was paired with uh, Suarez and Sterling up top, but... Um, you know, we can hope that he can, even through all these injuries, he can get closer to that form that he was in back then, because he was just a joy to watch in that front three, four years ago, so that's really exciting. Um, this was just an absolute domination by Liverpool. Uh, you look at the stats, 10 shots on target for Liverpool and none for Arsenal. Um, I think I saw a statistic saying that uh, Arsenal hasn't not, ha- hasn't not, or yeah, haven't not have a, had a shot on target in around two years. So, uh, obviously, you know, Liverpool, very steady in the back. Uh, Lovren was, was, you know, stood out to me as a player who, you know, was able to shut down players in the right time. So, um, I was pretty impressed with him. And Arsenal just looked very flat in the midfield, very, you know, very regressive. Ramsey and Xhaka were the two main men in the midfield. Um, and they weren't able to push up the ball forward much, and really give. They didn't really give Alexis Sanchez and the other forwards help. Um, and I think that once Lacazette came on, uh, not much else changed. I thought there there were a couple times where I thought Lacazette did well to come back to the ball and try to create a couple opportunities, but really there was really nothing for for Arsenal in this game. I think on paper possession was pretty even. Uh, between both sides, but to me, it was clear who had the important possession, and I mean, I think in this case, uh, shots and shots on target were more indicative of how the game actually went, um, showing that Liverpool really did dominate this game. And some of the marking as well from that back three from Arsenal was just really inexcusable, and it was really susceptible to that pace of the Liverpool front three, which I'm really excited about. I think that this... like, I mean, I'm not really excited because I don't like Liverpool that much, but on the other hand, I just think that these, you know, we saw how effective Mane was uh, last year, especially towards the mid part of that year, and um, Salah and Firmino, they're all just able to, in, like, in, I, they're all, like, I, I don't, I was about to say, like, kind of reminding me of Barcelona, with Messi, Neymar, Suarez, obviously not to that extent. No one is as good as any of those players, but I think in the way that they overlap each other, that they're they already look coordinated, even though Salah's new. I think that that that, that attacking trio can be lethal, and they're going to miss Coutinho if he's sold. But um, I think that they can they can do they can do without him because I, I mean I, I was impressed, but also from what I saw by Chan and uh, Liverpool, gotten off to a good start in the Premier League. Um, uh, I uh, well, I guess they did tie Watford. Um, it, this game though was was a fantastic showing from them. So I I'm I'm excited to see if they can you know retain this form because uh, wow that was just a great performance by them. And for Arsenal, I think they got to change something up. I just think that back three was absolutely. Um, 
god awful in this game. I think that the individual marking from Monreal and Holding was pretty atrocious, and just tactically, it seemed like the team just was out of sorts, unorganized, and um, we'll see if Arsene Wenger can can change it up in their next game because that was just really really bad and yeah they, they've got Bournemouth next on their schedule after the international break so we'll see if they can turn things around but uh for now uh not looking too hot for Arsenal not looking too hot um and yeah and what I said before about Liverpool and you know having good start yeah I mean defensively they were really out of sorts against Watford but um, I thought they showed well in those Hoffenheim legs, and they did beat Crystal Palace. So I would still say they've gotten off to a pretty good start. I mean, they haven't lost yet. So um, The next game that I want to talk about, um, I might be a little bit biased about this, but Roma versus Inter Milan. Obviously, some of the storylines going into this game were Luciano Spalletti leaving Inter Milan and coming to Roma last year after some tension between him and Francesco Totti. Um, Inter Milan have him now. He um, was a great coach for Roma, led us to our highest point total ever last year with 87 points, and um, saved us uh, the year before that after Rudy Garcia was fired and got us uh, back into the Champions League playoff, at least, which we lost. But besides the point, Spalletti was a great coach for us, and um, he was replaced by Eusebio De Francesco, the uh, former uh, Sassuolo coach. So um, definitely... You're going from very experienced to not mu- not much experience at this high level, but um, I I am confident that Eusebio can you know eventually become a great uh, coach. But also, this doesn't really have anything to do with much of the game. But another storyline that was going that was happening going into this game was which was and don't worry, I'm I'm going to get to the actual game, but was um, Patrick Schick, a striker for Sampdoria, was being fought by both uh, Inter Milan and Roma. Uh, This Czech striker is very, very exciting. He had a great season for Sampdoria. Um, Very good on the ball, very fast. Just just has a knack for scoring goals as well. Um, Both of these teams wanted him, and eventually, I don't think it was, it wasn't really decided until after the game where he chose Roma, but those are some of the storylines going in. Spalletti making his return to the Stadio Olimpico and Schick, um, a content, uh, in contention between these two teams. So I'm just going to go through the goals and a key turning point in this match before I get more into the analysis. So in the 15th minute, um, Nine Golden played a beautiful ball over the top to Edin Dzeko, who chests it, then rifles it in the top left corner, past Handanovic. Beautiful shot, beautiful ball. How was Raja Nine Golden not called up to Belgium's World Cup qualifier? Roberto Martinez, what are you doing? First of all, how did Roberto Martinez get the Belgium job after that Everton stint? But second of all, Nine Golan, I'm sorry, like, I don't even think I'm being that biased when I say that Nine Golan is like a top eight, seven center midfielder in the world. He has it all. He has the passing. He has the technical ability. He has the athleticism. He has what, like, he has everything. He's he's smart. He's He's a leader. He's passionate, like, everything in a midfielder that you would want, Nine Golden has it. Maybe not to the extent of some of these other midfielders, maybe he doesn't have, you know, the passing of Luka Modric, but all around, he's just such a fantastic player, and I don't know, and I can understand, I, I, and I can't, can understand why Nine Golden uh, said that he's retiring or contemplating retirement from the national team after not being left out of the squad twice in a row, because it's honestly ridiculous 
if you're playing a competitive game and you're going to bring Tielman and I, I think he might have brought up Fellaini too, bring up bring Nyangolan or don't bring those other players because Raja Nyangolan is the best midfielder on that team, maybe besides maybe like maybe competing with De Bruyne, but it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, uh, besides the point, besides that rant, uh, Romo was up one nil. Right then, the second half starts, and a key turning point happens in the 56th minute. Diego Perotti was brought down by Mil- Milan Skriniar on an attack, and the referee didn't choose to call the penalty or even review it on VAR. And this is very frustrating and disappointing because this is the whole point of video replay. The whole point is to look at a tough decision, look at you know a debatable decision, and go back and correct upon the mistakes that we've seen too many times in this game, and the referee just doesn't choose to do anything, and if you saw, see the replay, Diego Perotti was clearly brought down, and um, I, like, I don't even understand, like, how, how this happened, and very frustrating stuff, and that wasn't the only time that we seemed to be unlucky in this game, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But it's 1-0, right? Roma's up, feeling good. But in the 67th minute, Accardi has a great turn and shot past Allison's left-hand side, left-hand side to equalize the game. And at this point, you know, everyone's saying, oh, classic Roma, you know, maybe we can hold on to a draw. Nope. In the 77th minute, Perisic crosses it to Accardi, takes a great touch and turn again to set up a shot that puts Inter one goal ahead. And then finally, 10 minutes later again, Perisic beats Juan Jesus again. Uh, I don't know if I said that he beat Swan Jesus in the previous goal, goal but he did. Um, he beats Juan Jesus, crosses it into Matias Vecina, Vecino, excuse me, and the marking from Manolas is just kind of inexcusable there, and Vecino is able to get uh, an easy goal. So, yeah, so basically a complete collapse by Roma, and I, I don't understand this because this seems to happen like every year. We we just choke so hard in some of these big games, um, you know. Sometimes in big games, and sometimes just to teams that like are just terrible. We 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 let them in the game at the end. We get complacent, and part of this is luck. I mean, Kolarov, Nangolin, and Perotti all had great shots that hit the post in this game, and we were definitely dominating for the first seventy minutes, but defensively. You know you can't you can't chalk that up to luck. Th- those were those were collapses on those goals. And Juan Jesus at right back. I'm sorry, that was bound to be a disaster from for, in the first place. I mean, so uh, Ed, I mean, if you don't know, Rick Cardsdorp and Bruno Perez are you know the right backs for Roma, and they're both injured. So and you know. Di Francesco has been on record as just not wanting to play any formation but the 4-3-3. And we kind of saw that here, I think. And even though the 4-3-3 worked for the most part in this game, you know, for 70 minutes, it kind of caused to our detriment because Juan Jesus at right back, a left-footed center back, a left-sided center back, playing right back, and he's, you know, marking Perisic, a proven winger, is not going to pan out. And it didn't, and it costed us. So I think, I mean, I think there would have been perhaps other players that I would have rather tried at right back than Juan Jesus, I think, but like maybe, maybe Manolas, I, I mean, and, and play two other center backs. But I also think that change your formation if you have to play three center backs, if you have to, because 
we all knew that this was going to be a problem going in. Perisic on Juan Jesus. Like, when you have a striker as clinical as Icardi, and by the way, credit to Icardi, he was... Those goals were fantastic. Like, he... Icardi is... I sometimes, He's just an underrated striker, and he's so, so clinical sometimes, and his movement on the ball is just really fun to watch. But... If you you know if you know that the other team has Perisic and a striker as good as Icardi for Perisic to play balls into, then please come up with a better solution than to play Juan Jesus at right back. I mean, I don't think it'll be a problem again because after the next international break, I think Bruno Perez should come back for Roma's right back spot. But regardless, um, I know I'm becoming like just a fan right now, but um, this was a big game because. These are two teams that are going to be competing for Champions League spots and I guess perhaps the title, but really Juventus will probably take it. But um, Inter Milan looking stronger, taking more advantage of their talent with Spalletti. And um, Roma now, let's see if they can get Schick, um, get Schick in there and, uh, you know, get a, get a win in their next game because um, right now they have three points and I think every other team they're kind of competing with, uh, the Milans, the Napolis, the the Juventuses, the Inters, all have six points at this point. So they're they're behind. Obviously, so much time to catch up. Thirty six games left in Serie A, but um, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to see what we can do. And I, I, please, if you're a Roma fan, or just don't give up. It's kind of I've been reading tweets recently, and uh, it's kind of ridiculous what some people are saying. Thirty six games left. Please don't peg this on our sporting director, Monchi, and let, let, let Di Francesco have some time to get all the players in that he needs to, either you know coming back from injury or players that we still have yet to buy, and experiment with this lineup a little bit because uh, we saw some potential in this game. Moving on, though, um, the USMNT, obviously a big, a big subject on our podcast, and um, it's definitely a topic that you guys love hearing about, so uh, I'm excited to talk about it right now. And the USMNT has two World Cup qualifiers coming up. We have that September 1st game against Costa Rica and that September 5th game at Honduras. And Bruce Arena has announced the lineup for, or the squad rather, for these next two World Cup qualifiers. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, list this roster first and then I'll... Um, do some analysis on it. So for goalkeepers, we have Brad Guzan, Tim Howard, and Nick Romando. For defenders, we have Demarcus Beasley, Matt Beasler, Jeff Cameron, Omar Gonzalez, Matt Hedges, Eric Lehigh, Tim Ream, Jorge Viafania, and Graham Zuzzi. That's a lot of defenders. Cal Nacosta, Paul Ariola, Alejandro Bedoya, Michael Bradley, Fabian Johnson, Dax McCarty, Donington Nagby, Christian Pulisic, and Christian Roldan will be our midfielders. And for our forwards, we have Josie Altador, Clint Dempsey, Jordan Morris, Chris Wondolowski, Bobby Wood. So nothing too too surprising here. Um, I don't think I expected to see Wondolowski. I could have seen Kellen Rowe make it instead of Christian Roldan, um, but nothing too surprising to me. Um, I mean, the first, you know, the first thoughts that come to my head when I see this roster are no Yedlin and Brooks, but uh, they're both out with injury. Yedlin's just settling back, getting back into the, uh, the Newcastle squad, and Brooks is out for a few months, which is unfortunate. Um, because he didn't get to play a Bundesliga game with Wolfsburg, and he was just uh, the most expensive American ever after he transferred there from Hertha Berlin. I think it was 22 million euros. So it's definitely disappointing to not see him be able to uh, play in these first few months, but we hope that he can get back into good shape. Um, 
in terms of those injuries, those Yedlin and Brooks injuries, I expect Beasler and Lehigh to fill those gaps, but we've seen Zuzi at right back before, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Zuzi instead of Lehigh uh, there. And I write back, and I'm really excited to see Pulisic again, as I'm sure so many of you are. And I'm going to say he has a goal and two assists total in these qualifiers. He's so, so good on the ball, so smart, so good at making runs. He's got an eye for goal. Um, he's he's just uh, a gr- our best player, in my opinion. And I think against CONCACAF competition, he can really succeed because we, we, we know what he can do in the Bundesliga. So... It's transferable as as we've seen in previous World Cup qualifiers and games for the U.S. men's national team. He's just a fantastic player, and I'm excited to see him. And it's also good to see Bobby Wood on the roster, another player who we didn't see in the Gold Cup. And I hope to see him starting. And um, yeah, I think you know we've seen Altidore and plenty of other strikers paired with him up top recently. Uh, Clint Dempsey, Jordan Morris. But um, I think that Bobby Wood and Altidore are going to play off each other really nicely. I think that with Josie Altidore's hold up and Bobby Wood, over, Bobby Wood's overlapping runs, that, that could make for some really threatening attacks. And um, I'm really excited. So I think with that, I kind of want to get into uh, um, what I want the lineup to be, or kind of a combination of what I want and what I, what I think it's going to be. But actually, I, I guess this is basically what I want. So what I want to see is Tim Howard at keeper. Again, I mean, you know, Howard is a good keeper, not what he used to be, but he's still got that chemistry with the center backs, and he seems to show do pretty well in a, or do, you know, decently to pretty well in a USMNT uniform. So I'd like to see Howard in goal, and the back four in front of him, I want to see Jorge Villafania uh, at left back. At left center back, I'd like to see Matt Beasler, or as I said before, and Jeff Cameron, the right center back, you know. Standard and at right back, I'd like to see Lehigh. And then up top, I know we played a flat four four two in the Gold Cup, but I think now with uh, with the extra players that we have, we can take Acosta to the bench a little bit. I think he's got a place in, in this in this team, but not starting in these games. I don't think I want to see a diamond with Pulisic at the top of it and Bradley at the bottom of it. Um, and then on the wings, we can have Darlington Nagby and Fabian Johnson. So I think that that midfield is really strong. Nagby and Fabian Johnson, both capable of causing, you know, really threatening opportunities. Fabian Johnson, a player they can get back and defend, uh, a player who's experienced in defense. So um, a good outside mid- It's always nice to have an outside midfielder who can win the ball back, etc. And Don Nagby, when he, when he pinches in, I think that... He, he and Pulisic could have some really good one-twos. And just in general, he's just a very electrifying player. Pulisic at the top, going to support his strikers, going to look for goal. And Bradley at the bottom of the diamond, I think that he is going to be able to drop back in between the center backs a little bit, hopefully dictate play from deep a little bit, play a few long balls. And um, I think that, you know, I think that like sometimes Bradley works best in uh, a position where he's not so responsible for everything happening on the pitch. That's when he kind of thrives because I feel like he does everything right. And um, in that number six role, in that defensive midfielder role or stopper, whatever you want to call it, I think that he can really be threatening to Honduras and Costa Rica. And then finally up top, I'd like to see 
as I said before, Bobby Wood and Josie Altador. I think that that's that is our best lineup. I think, and I think it can be pretty threatening. And um, in terms of substitutes that I'd like to see come on first, probably not Chris Wondolowski. I was kind of disappointed to see him on this list, but I'd like to see Clint Dempsey because, as we know, Clint Dempsey doesn't have the same motor as he used to, and um, he was doing really well coming off the bench in the Gold Cup. So I'd like to see like Clint Dempsey come on. I'd like to see you know like. I guess Bedoya and Acosta, whichever one's more necessary in that situation, and I think I think those would be like my main subs. And Dax McCarty is also good to hold down um, the midfield. I think that uh, uh, Paul Ariola is like like I've said before, a talented player. I don't think he's necessarily what we need. I don't think he's necessarily got the end product or like he's. I mean, there's some players, like like I was saying before, like Mohamed Salah, who, like, doesn't have great end product. But he can still kind of make up for it in creating so many chances. But I think Paul Ariola, like, while he does create chances, he doesn't create enough to warrant his bad, not like, not only finishing, but also crossing sometimes. So I think that, and Salah at least can cross. So I think, like, even though, obviously, we all know that Salah is, like, a better player, like, even with, like, respectively to Liverpool and respectively to the U.S. men's national team, I think that you, you can you can see the comparison, but also know that Paul Ariola isn't like that. But you can't really justify him. Like, you can justify playing Salah, as I was saying before. So, kind of a weird comparison there, but uh, that's just what I thought of. So, anyway, um, I think that the U.S. can... Uh, our first game will be hosting Costa Rica, and I think that that game is going to be... Very exciting. I feel like our games against Costa Rica normally are. Sometimes they're kills, as like like the last Lake Klinsman game. Sometimes they're weird, like the snow game, and sometimes they're just close. So um, I think that I'm gonna say U.S. comes through with this one two to one. I think Costa Rica fires first. We all get upset, and then by the end of the game, we're not upset, and we stop, you know, speaking in a very hyperbolic way, and uh, we win. So. That's my hope. I hope we can win both of these games and, uh, you know, have more of a safety net to qualify for the World Cup and start thinking about the World Cup a little more and get ex- getting. Ex- hopefully we have something to be excited about this December if we can figure out who we're drawing. Um, really exciting stuff happening for the U.S. men's national team. That's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. Like I said, it wasn't that much, but I had a lot of fun doing it, and I hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to me. If you have any recommendations on what I should talk about on this podcast, you can email me at soccerbrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. We have an Instagram. Our handle on Twitter and Instagram is at soccerbrotherspod. We're on Facebook as the Soccer Brothers Podcast. Please contact us. Please review and rate us. We appreciate all the support. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you guys next time on episode number 79 of the Soccer Brothers Podcast. Thank you.